This is Skip Pritchard and welcome to Aim Higher. In the previous podcast, we got to listen to the first half of a really informative expert panel gathered to discuss the important topic of leadership coaching. We covered some of the basics and if you haven't listened, I encourage you to go back and check that one out first. In this second half of our conversation, we get into advanced topics such as leadership team coaching, working with multiple coaches, and what your long-term goals should be. Taken together, it's a quick master class on a topic that too few leaders take the time to really delve into. I hope you'll listen and think about how you can work coaching into your leadership journey. When we think about coaching, we've been talking about these individuals. What about coaching a team? What about coaching that whole team? Because often we talk about strengths, we talk about focusing on minimizing each other's weaknesses. Oftentimes it's not necessarily that individual, but it's the coaching of the team that can elevate the performance. And it may be a few specific people, but when is it appropriate to move beyond a person to a team dynamic or to come in and say, we need to really work and coach this team because the team itself is being, you know, I can see like a leadership team or an executive team, but any team where you may need to coach more than one person, what would you say you do in that situation, Janet? Well, I love coaching the whole team and especially leadership teams. I will say that it poses its own challenges and opportunities because you really have to get a sense of the health of a team overall before you can dive into, you know, coaching in a team setting. You know, I look for things like, do they push each other? Do they have, you know, they have high levels of trust? Are they willing to go toe-to-toe and speak with radical candor? Will they hold each other accountable? Can we have conversations that are productive and, you know, once again, focused on results? And so, you know, I'm kind of assessing that when I'm brought in to work with the leadership team and just trying to determine, are they at the stage where they can they can be effectively coached as a team, or do we need to spend some individual time with them and then bring them into a team setting? And so I, you know, we do that sometimes through initial assessments. Uh, you know, a lot of the assessment tools that I use will do a, a report that is a team report. And so it shows, you know, the strengths that each team member brings. And so we can start by having a group coaching session that focuses on strengths and the diverse diversity of the team in terms of strengths. And, you know, my secret kind of behind the scenes agenda there is to just be scanning and going, how are they interacting with each other? You know, is this team going to be able to be coachable as a team? You know, when we think about teams and leadership, we can reflect even to family. And it's interesting. I watch people who are at the pinnacle of their career. They're doing amazing things. And they go into a holiday party, Christmas party, Memorial Day picnic, whatever it may be. And they immediately revert to their childhood pecking order and the dynamics of that family. And you watch it happen. You know, the the jokester, the immature one, the serious thing. You, you just see this immediate return. And so when I think about team coaching, I think the same thing. You can have this individual who 
is one way and performing, et cetera. But for some reason, when they enter a certain team dynamic, they immediately revert into the position of that team member. And sometimes that's good, but a lot of times it's not revealing or letting them get to their full potential that they would have as a team member. And so it takes a lot to coach them out individually in that team environment. It's very different, I would say. I think it's also tough for a team to admit they're stuck. Because it's one thing in a, in a in when we were talking about the boss-employee relationship of, hey, you need coaching, right? For a team itself to say, we need coaching, it would almost feel like failure to me of like, well, why are we stuck? Why can't we figure this out ourselves? Why do we need somebody external? How do we even know we're stuck? That I think would be tough to navigate as, as a group. It's challenging, I think, the sense that there's something wrong. Right. And therefore, we need a coach. Obviously, everyone has opportunity to improve. Everyone has some blind spots. But sometimes, I'll bring in an athletic example. You know, sometimes the most incredible athletes have three or four coaches Mm -hmm. just helping them perfect a certain skill that they have. And I think that can also work where you've got maybe a great team, pretty strong team, who's going into a challenging you know, era of their business strategy. And sometimes a coach can just come in and and help them think about how are you going to handle conflict when it comes up? How are you going to pull out from each person the unique skills and competencies they have? I mean, I remember somebody saying to me once, when we go into this conversation, we need you to say what you said over here in that meeting. We need your thinking on this. We need your perspective. I might've hung back and been quiet had that not occurred. So sometimes I think it is just challenging and and, uh, really strengthening. Isn't Tammy great? I feel better already. Absolutely. (laughs) And I would just play off of what you said, Drew, in terms of, you know, really it's, I struggle with this with my clients often, but it's not about coaching what's wrong with you. It's about coaching what's right and continuing to build upon those strengths either as an individual or as a team. And, you know, we can do that. Every team can get better. There's always room for growth. So I really am a big believer in positioning it, you know, coaching in that way. This is, this is an, a privilege that you've been given to work with a coach. And it's about focusing on your strengths and maximizing those and then learning to mitigate your weaknesses. You know, maybe maybe there's a skill set that you just need to develop. And then again, there could be a skill set that you need to add someone to your team to, you know, once again, mitigate that weakness. So I just think there's always room for growth and improvement. And, you know, I hope I know for me personally, I, you know, I learn things every day and grow and, and um, you know, have new areas of awareness, and I hope I never lose that. So anyway, that's just another thought that I'd like to build upon with that. When we think about coaching, oftentimes people's first image is the football coach, the basketball coach, right? We're, we think, you know, sports, and it's easy to think of it, and that perspective that we say, oh, well, we're not talking about losers turning into winners necessarily. It could be you're a good team, but we're, we're coaching you. And for some reason, when we think about leadership and management, we, we just divorce that up completely and think that it's not like that, but it's so similar. I even think of an orchestra conductor mm-hmm. is a leader. 
as a coach. You're coaching the best performance even in a symphony situation to get the violins in this way and the percussion and working as a team and breathing and living as an organism is no different than a team in some ways of people on the football field because you're bringing out the best performance that you can and you're eliminating weaknesses and strengths, et cetera. So a lot of that same perspective is is applicable, I think, into organizations and into the corporate world, which is interesting. So we learn so much about coaching when we're young and who's modeling those coaches. If we participated on a sports team, watching sports or in a band or something, you, you get to see, you know, if you're in scouting or whatever, you see leaders in different parts and you can pick and choose. At least that's the way I've always lived my life. What do you see about that? I mean, I tell my kids, it's important for you to be on a team and listen to someone who is not near your mother, like just learn how to take direction in a group setting where you've got a shared goal. I I don't care if you become a professional athlete. In fact, I don't think you will. But the experience is important. And like you said, you play enough, you're going to see some bad examples. You're going to see some good examples. You're going to see somebody who's great at motivating. You're going to see somebody who's great at tactics. You're going to see somebody who's a horrible human being. And you get all <laughs> those different experiences in a, in a relatively safe environment most of the time. And you're going to learn what it's like to win. And you're going to learn lose. what it's like to lose. Yes. Absolutely. And isn't that applicable yeah. in, more in the world? So applicable. And in, like in most parts of life, we often learn more from the losing or the adversity than we necessarily do from the winning. But I, I do think a good coach, either in those situations or an organizational situation, can also adapt a little bit to the style of the person that they're yes. working with. And I'm sure, Janet, that's probably something that you do just as a natural part of the process. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And that's another benefit of the assessments in the beginning of a coaching engagement is that you do get a sense into, you know, how they're wired. And I try to do something along the lines of a personality assessment and blend that with a 360 assessment. Also, I'll circle back to your 360 assessment comment because one of the questions I always ask in 360s is, what else do I need to know as I coach this individual within the system? And so I'm looking for systemic challenges or systemic opportunities. So I'm really trying to gain insight on culture. And uh, because I could take Tammy, for example, you and lift you out of the OCLC system, not that we're going to do that, Skip, don't get worried, (laughs) and put you into another organization, and you may not be able to thrive Mm -hmm. um, because of the particular culture and the system so we it's tammy you're talking about right i mean that's ridiculous yeah that's not <laughs> that's okay that, you've had great <laughs> yeah. examples yeah. up until yeah. now probably yeah. drew yeah let's, let's go with drew yes. Drew, yes. that would be more, yeah. more guys yes. these guys <laughs> i know that's true that's true you're right she could she's such a great adapter right yes, exactly <laughs> okay enough about tammy all right all right <laughs> turn it back to drew <laughs> uh, so i'd love to just end with a couple of questions and ex- explorations and the, the first is just just going back to the results what what are the results you're looking for in executive coaching if you would have to list them so what would you be looking for well drew mentioned behavior change i think earlier and that that's probably a common one sometimes it's a skill i mean mm-hmm. it's it's an actual skill that you can observe measure assess in some way those two jump out for me. Communication probably is another common area. Communication skill or the ability to, you know, articulate position or 
something that you need from your team? I like sustained performance as mm-hmm. another one mm-hmm. because uh, it's not a temporary blip. If you've had successful coaching, mm. it's not that temporary, oh, I fixed it for a week, but it is that issue is now sustainably yeah, solved. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. That is good. Yeah. You know, I think once again, I'm a big believer in intense focus around just a few competency or skill areas is really important in a coaching engagement. We can't work on everything at once. And I like to pair a strength with a weakness or an opportunity for improvement. And I also like to educate the client somewhat on, you know, when you move to different levels within an organization, as your career progresses, there are things, it's that old um, saying, what got you here won't get you there. There are skill sets that you're going to need to let go of, and then there are skill sets that you're going to need to hone or develop. And, you know, this is all backed in research. This is not just you know, Delta Boulevard's theory of leadership development. I mean, we use a lot of tools that are, you know, backed in research and focused on, especially since most of my coaching is at the executive level, focused on executive level competencies. And so what I would say there is making sure that you're you're not focusing on too many things at once. I like your idea of sustained performance. And then I'm a big believer in always kind of wrapping it up with what are you going to own in this process? What is the person owning in terms of their professional growth? Because so many times we can have a mindset that, oh, someone else needs to show me how to do that or model that for me. But really, executives and leaders should be owning their professional growth. And so I like to instill that mindset as well. That's really good. Drew, what would you add to things you would look for, successful executive coaching outcomes? I think one thing I like about the the coach experience is just having a different person let you know how you are being perceived, good or bad. It it doesn't have to all be bad, but just things that you won't be aware of yourself. You can't see the impact you have when you say certain things to people. And when we talk about moving up in the organization, I think think that changes. You know, your, your words carry much more you know, wait, good or bad. And just being aware that I say this, I show up like this, here's how that's perceived. Here's what happens. Here's how the organization interprets that sentence. Things like that. Just having somebody else help you with that, I find very valuable. Well, I want to end with this. I think it's appropriate to know, how do you know when a coaching assignment is ended? When is it appropriate to end? So we've all had some coaches who they just don't know it's over, but they continue and continue and continue. Maybe it's just because they're motivated by sending you more bills. Maybe it's that they don't want to let go. But how how we want to end the podcast, how would you know that the coaching session has ended and it's appropriate for them to move on or graduate to something else or go into therapy, yes. whatever it may be? How do you assess that? Well, the coaching engagements that we've used again in the organizations that I've worked in there's a process and so that process might take 10 months for one person it might take four months for another person but that process demonstrates you know there's assessment and then there's the development of a put it in pencil sort of you know development plan then there's something a little bit more concrete and then there's how are we going to check in see how this is going and then at you know at that point I think you're done 
with the maybe heavier part of the coaching process. But check-ins are important, whether those are check-ins between, you know, you and your leader or the coach or some other, some other input. But the process really will determine when it's done. Will it? Well, <laughs> it could. It could. I mean, but, if, what if you have a coach that won't let go? Well, I mm. think it's just like in counseling. You know, there are, I'm sure, and Janet absolutely would not be one of them, but I'm sure there are coaches who see themselves as, you know, continuing to develop the relationship throughout time. And I've worked with a couple of those coaches, too, and it was, you know, their continual source of income. And so they didn't necessarily end the coaching assignments. But in my experience, that's been few and far between. Yeah. There are certainly varying opinions on this in the coaching profession, um, but my um, all of my engagements have a defined timeline and a defined number of coaching sessions and somewhat defined cadence as well. And part of that process is, once again, discovery assessments at the beginning, creating an individual development plan, reviewing it with the manager, and then having some check-ins. But then at the end, like I said, we want to wrap it up and teach the client to own that growth and to sustain that growth and even hand it back over to the client's boss to say, hey, this is what they've learned. This is how we agreed we were going to measure success. And this is what's been achieved. And then this is what they're going to continue to do. And there are times, certainly, that we'll have check-ins beyond that. Sometimes they're quarterly. Sometimes they're annually. You know, I do have clients that I've worked with off and on in different organizations. I have one client that I've I've coached him in three different organizations and he does a, a 360 every year because he wants to know how, you know, how he's growing and developing. So there's certainly are those situations where coaching can become more of a long-term relationship. But I am a big believer in boundaries around the initial coaching engagement. And I think that drives results, right? I mean, if, if it's open-ended and I'm going to be here forever with mm-hmm. you, then there's no urgency. And I like to instill like this sense of urgency. This is, this is what we're going to do. Every coaching session, you're going to walk away with new awareness and an actionable goal. We're going to come back and, you know, all that's going to lead to what you've defined as success. I really like that. And I have seen coaches who won't let go, but I've also seen those being coached not letting right. go. It's they a, don't it's want a to two-way street. They, yeah. they may develop a codependency, mm-hmm. and I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do this without the coach, even though it's time. And so that's why I ask, because on both sides of this, you have to really do that assessment. And when is it appropriate for me to revisit later? Mm-hmm. Because coaching is, an, is, a, you know, is a life skill, so it may be later you do need to re-engage. But it may be slightly a different focus or a different culture. You're, the person you mentioned is going to multiple organizations. The coaching in one would be very, very different as in another. I, I like to define it as the coaching experience is done when you're operating in your own power. I like that. Right. So if you're operating in someone else's power, it means you're codependent. You have to borrow that power. You have to borrow authority. You have to borrow skills. When the person is is done and when the assignment's done to me means you're, you're operating under your own power and it's effective and sustainable and noticeable. 
So that's the way I like to define it. But it has been great to talk about all things coaching. So thank you, Tammy, Drew, and Janet. It's great to have you here today talking about coaching. All of us can use a little coaching. And I think that's a great mindset to have in life. And I think many of the people listening to Aim Higher have that mindset of, I want to be coached. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm reading books. Because coaching isn't just necessarily hiring a coach. It may be the book you read tonight. Mm -hmm. It may be the person you're engaged with. It may be the team. It may be the podcast or the videos that you're putting into your brain. Because all of those things coach you to become a greater performer and really just a more awesome person. Thank you for being a winner and listening to Name Higher. And we appreciate everyone who's liking, commenting, sending questions in, or rating us on the various podcast channels. We appreciate you and we wish you a very successful week. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. Until next time, remember, Don't settle for the mediocre, always aim higher.